Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You're listening to episode 81 of the Marathon Running Podcast. In this episode, you're going to learn all about how to use your online marathon training plan. This is the Marathon Running Podcast by Letty and Ryan from We Got The Runs. Join us in our running community for weekly content that is motivational, educational, and inspirational and let the marathon running podcast take you from the starting line to the finish line and beyond hey runners welcome to episode 81 hi lady and runners Hi, Ryan, and I want to welcome all the new listeners to our podcast. We are Ryan and Letty. We do a weekly running podcast. And if you've heard us in the past and you've chosen to come back, thank you and welcome back. And welcome back to you, Ryan, because you were MIA last week. Where was I? You were working. Oh. You've been working a lot of hours, a lot of days. So I did a couple of episodes or I guess one episode without you. And it was actually an episode that you might have, you would have enjoyed because it was a little bit nerdy and it was all about Garmin data. I was struggling. <laughs> so what are we talking about today? You said run training? Yes. So today we're going to talk about how to use online training programs that you can download because as you know, not one training plan fits all. And so have you ever gone online and checked out these uh, training programs? I haven't. Because you're not training for a marathon. That's true. You're just training for life with your runs. But if you were to hop online, you would see that there's an abundance of training programs. All of them are kind of the same concept. You have about 16 to 20 weeks. And in those weeks, you build up your mileage, you build up your endurance, and you build up speed. And then hopefully on race day, it all comes together. Or it doesn't. <laughs> Or it doesn't. That's right. So... You're going to go into all sorts of different training programs, and some of these training programs have certain terminology. And terminology can sometimes be hard. So is there some basic terminology definitions that you can give people so they understand when you have the conversation? Yeah, that's a great idea, Ryan. So there's a few runs that you'll see on a lot of these training plans. There's the recovery run, the easy run. There's an aerobic run, a threshold run, a tempo run. And then there's the Yasso 800s, and um, that's basically it. So to go into those a little bit is a recovering run. Obviously, you run that after you've done a really hard workout. You run it at a slower pace. The easy run is an easy run where you don't run very hard. Again, you kind of want to just stay at a low heart rate to build endurance. And then you have the harder ones, which is aerobic is faster than the easy run, but it's not a threshold run because that's faster again. And then there's a tempo run, which is basically just a steady state run. So if you have a tempo run on your schedule, that could look like a two mile warm up and then a certain amount of miles at a certain pace that you keep steady and then a warm down. And then the Yasso's 800, which is basically 10 800s with two minutes in between. It's a type of workout. And sometimes people in their training plans just refer to them as the Yasso's 800. So is that pretty much the overview we need? I think that should be sufficient for the purpose of this podcast. And then again, you know, most training programs, when you find them online, they give you a little bit of guidance. You can obviously find the ones that just have weeks and mileage and information of what you need to do, but a lot of them have their own definitions. And you kind of want to look for that because again, each coach has their own terminology sometimes. Sometimes, for example, a tempo run is also called a threshold run for some coaches and, and little things like that. Do you talk about a favorite online training program or can you give advices to some good ones? Well, I think a good thing to do is to go to the specific race that you're training for and see if they offer one online, because then that specific coach has the topography, temperature and all that stuff of the event in mind when they write it. 
For example, the person we're going to hear from today is David Levine. We just had him on a couple of weeks ago when we talked about eight tips on how to qualify for Boston. And he's the head coach of the LA Roadrunners. So he has gone into a lot of detail analyzing the course. And so the training plan that he offers online is very specific to the Los Angeles Marathon. So that's that. And if your race does not have a training program that they offer, then you can also find other ones online. And I think a few good ones even let you plug in your goal pace and then analyze what programs you should be on. There's always different levels. And then with that, they have suggestions of, you know, how fast you should be performing your workouts and all that stuff and give you an idea of what your paces should be. So what's better, a coach or a running training program? I mean, obviously, a good coach, there is no substitute for that attention to detail and ability to have a professional switch your days, because I think that's mostly the problems that people run into when they are training or using an online training plan is that in theory, those 20 weeks look good. But then when it comes to real life, we all have kids and jobs and all that. So you might miss a day or something has to be switched around. And that's where it gets a little bit more confusing for us non-professionals to what can we switch? What if we can't keep up with certain workouts or what if something doesn't feel hard enough and, and those things? So you're saying a coach is dynamic and a training program static? I don't know. I didn't study chemistry or physics, but if that's what that means, then yes. <laughs> it's not it's not chemistry <laughs> dynamic means it moves it adjusts and static means it still doesn't move you're basically saying that a coach can adjust to changes and the training program is doesn't yes one is static the other one is dynamic there you go. <laughs> do i make you proud <laughs> <laughs> i don't know you remember tomorrow <laughs> nope so without further ado we're now going to play you our interview with david levine All right. So I'm back on here with David Levine, the head coach of the LA Roadrunners. David, welcome back. Uh, thank you. I'm waving, but you can't see that. <laughs> so we just had you on a few weeks ago, a month ago or so on how to or tips on how to qualify for Boston. And we got a mm -hmm. super great response on your coaching. So we asked you to come back. But for those who have not listened to that previous episode, perhaps you could do a quick introduction. Oh, sure. Um, my name is David Levine, obviously. I'm a level two coach with USA Track and Field and USA Triathlon, and I wrote the book, co-wrote, The Complete Idiot's Guide to Marathon Training. And currently, I am, for the last season and this one so far, I am the head coach of the LA Roadrunners, which is the training program that's uh, from the LA Marathon, that's owned by the LA Marathon. So um, that's where I am today. All right. So that's perfect. And for that reason, it's probably good to hear from you everything in regards to our topic of today, which is how to use an online training program, because you actually write training mm -hmm. programs for the roadrunners and you've taught mm -hmm. groups before and you know all the um, good things and bad things that come with a training program that's pre-written. So just for the ease of it, let's cater all the questions with a person that's trying to run a sub for our marathon in mind, which comes out to be about a nine minute mile, nine mm -hmm. minutes, nine seconds, just mm -hmm. kind of round it down. And then obviously people that are faster or slower can kind of make an adjustment. I just wanted to have a person in mind when we talk about certain topics. Great. Yeah. So I want to start with jumping into some background information, because as you know, because you write them, all training plans have different paces. So why is it that we are not supposed to be running in the so-called gray zone, which is known in the running community as the time between your fast and your slow run? Why are we, if we're nine minute runners, why are we not supposed to be running at a 9.15, 9.30 pace, but rather do our speed work and make the speed work fast and then our easy runs easy? Um, well, basically, you, you want a certain amount of what we call polarity to your efforts. So, you know, most of the work that we do is like 20% or 15%, depending on your total volume of mileage, 
Um, if you're really getting up in mileage, like, you know, above 60, 65 miles a week into the 80 mile a week or more range, um, which would make you like a more of a semi-pro athlete, um, you'd want to do like 15% at that volume of high intensity work, um, more like 20% high intensity work for, you know, if you're like 60 miles or lower in your peak volume. But um, you, you want to do this kind of polarity extremes. So you have this high end, which is a smaller amount, and then this low, low end, which is a low heart rate amount. And you don't want to do that much in between because um, you don't gain as much as the polar ends, you know, the, the high heart rate and the low heart rate. Um, those give you far more benefit, um, you know, short and fast, long and slow, but it doesn't have to be me long and slow. It could just be short and slow on midweek runs. If you don't have time, it's all about the total volume of low heart rate work you do to build endurance. Um, a lot of pro athletes like Meb never had a long run. Um, not really. Uh, he, he, Bob tells me that his coach, that he just took all of Meb's run. Keep in mind, this is, was Meb's job. He just leveled out all of Meb's runs. So he ran in the morning, he ran in the evening, ran in the morning, ran in the evening. And he threw in some speed work every other day or every third day, eventually, as Meb got older. And... Um, uh, you know, there was never really a long run. It's about volume of low heart rate to build endurance. Um, we tend, we non-pro athletes tend to load a lot of volume of low heart rate work into what we call a long run on the weekend because we have these things called jobs midweek or children or whatever it is midweek. And, you know, on the weekend, our, our partner or spouse or husband or whatever can take the kids for an hour or two and we can go out on a run and go longer or three hours or whatever it is. Um, so there is that. But, you know, I do give people uh, comp composition runs, um, combination runs, excuse me. Combination runs where you start out at low heart rate, you know, easy pace for a warm up. Then you do maybe 10 minute threshold. Then you do, uh, five minutes easy or five minutes half marathon race pace, depending on where you are in your training. Um, if you're a little more advanced, your recovery would be half marathon race pace. And then you're right back into it at threshold pace for 10 minutes more. And then a cool down at the end at easy pace. Um, I do those all the time. I think those are great ones, um, especially for midweek. Um, especially when you want to gain, you know, short and fast that you might not be able to do on the weekend because you're doing these long runs. Um, even the long runs, you might want to throw in a little half marathon race pace in, especially toward like the end of the run. Uh, just to test it out, see how you're feeling, get your your mind wrapped or, or ready for a little more intensity later on in your marathon. Yeah, that's so, a really good explanation. And it uh, leads me to another question that I think is mm -hmm. probably very difficult for all of us, including me, to understand. Most training plans that you see online and also with a lot of coaches prescribe a long run. And it is kind of an easy pace or an easy pace mixed in with a little bit of speed. So I'm wondering in regular life, if we want to get better at something, we practice that. If you want to learn how to play the piano, you play the piano. So in my head, it's like, if I want to run a fast mm. marathon, I should be practicing long, fast runs. Can you please explain how that doesn't work and why the other method works just as well? Sure. Well, here, here's some science. This just do the math. Um, Now, with pro athletes, there, there are some international pro athletes that can run at like, you know, threshold pace, um, for higher heart rate for like two hours. But 
that's really high ability. Most of us non-pro athletes, and this is actually an important thing to know, most of us non-pro athletes can last about 80, 90 minutes at threshold where you're really using more glycogen, if not all glycogen, and until you hit the wall, right? So after about 80, 90 minutes of threshold running, you're going to hit the wall. You're done. You're walking. So there is a mathematical impossibility of telling someone to do a threshold run longer than 80 to 90 minutes. That's to start with. It's just, you know, by definition, ain't going to happen. <laughs> um, so that's to start with. Now, you know, you may have somebody, um, and by the way, the 80, 90 minutes is a great calculator, um, especially for somebody at like a four hour time finish to know, calculate where are you going to be on your marathon with 80 minutes left to go. And before that is your red zone, is your caution zone, is really focus on heart rate, really make sure you're within your marathon race pace or lower. Any hill, slow it down on, listen, your breathing. If you have a watch, watch your heart rate. After that, when you have 80 minutes to the finish line, um, if you're feeling good, if you've taken in enough gels, carbohydrate, go for it. Um, that's where people at the four hour catch up and really have a PR and break four hours. Um, but uh, I do, you know, there are, everyone's an individual and there are runners that you may want to throw in a bit of threshold work during a long run. Um, certainly you may want to throw in some marathon race pace during a long, easy run, especially on flat ground. So people get the feel, especially toward the end of training, the last several weeks of training, more and more specificity is what you want to shoot for, meaning more and more marathon race pace. But marathon race pace at mid range, um, doesn't give you the same benefits as high heart rate or even lesser risk of lower heart rate at any rate. So there, there, this is a balance. Everything needs to be in balance. And, um, the reason you would put in more marathon race pace is because you want to get used to that feeling of marathon race pace for marathon race day. Um, the reason you would throw in a little threshold is you want to get to a point where you can recover quicker. But again, if you're going for these really horrific 20 mile long runs, you're not going to throw in too much threshold work. Um, maybe at the end of a run, uh, you know, just to feel how getting it's getting tougher the last six miles of the marathon, maybe the last two miles of your, your long run, you'd throw in some threshold, but only with someone who has the strength for that. You know, you don't want to get them injured. That, that's really a balance there. The four hour people are pretty strong. You might throw in like two minutes of threshold pace or something like that toward the end of a run. Um, you might throw in, you know, a couple miles of marathon race pace in the middle of the run for somebody like a four hour ability level. Um, but yeah, not too much for that four hour ability level. It's, it's like I said, you know, it's really based on the individual. Um, if you're talking about pro athletes, they're stronger. They recover quicker than like a five, six hour marathoner. They're, they're weaker. They're tighter. They don't recover as quicker. They injure quicker. You know, there's a huge variance in ability levels out there. And you have to take that into consideration. Yeah, yeah, of course. Thanks for thanks for explaining that. It's starting to make a little bit more sense. <laughs> yeah, all these things are very complex, but yeah, they kind of start to make sense. Yeah. So another thing that we notice on training plans that we find online is that there's a tendency to have three weeks of a buildup and then mm -hmm. a setback week. Can you mm -hmm. explain why and how that works? Yeah, I, I wouldn't refer to it as a setback week, more like a taper or a cutback week. Um, oh, yeah, cutback. I'm sorry, not uh, setback. <laughs> it's okay. It's um, 
lot of people might think of it as a setback week, <laughs> so much less. Um, again, the benefit is, you know, you're doing more and more and more and more and more for three weeks. And then your hormone levels, you know, in conjunction with you're doing more, your hormone levels are going down and down and down and down and down. So you're also breaking up more and more of that probably unfelt muscle tissue. You may not be getting sore, but with every run, like bodybuilding, you're breaking up muscle tissue. You're getting stronger by breaking up, breaking your body down, breaking up muscle tissue. So you need that period a week of coming back and rebuilding. Now, I got to tell you, with adult athletes who want to build, like especially that four-hour group, I'm not suggesting much more than 60 miles. I'm not even suggesting, you know, some for four hours, it's more like 40 to 60 miles would be the range of peak volume you'd want to do in a week. You know, um, I like to think of things as weekly volume, not like my long run. You know, people will tell me, my well, my long run was 18 miles last week. Well, what, what was your weekly mileage? That's what I really want to know. Um, so um, people in that range, um, you know, you, you, you might, if you're really getting up in volume to like 80 miles, excuse me, like 60 miles or something, um, and some might even go to 80 miles, um, that might not be preferable, especially if you're a little older, but um, you'd, you'd need taper weeks more like every two weeks, maybe even every week, you know, build week, taper week, build week, taper week. Um, it, it really needs to be a balance and geared to the individual. I do create these schedules for probably hundreds, certainly, certainly no question, hundreds of people get these schedules and to some degree use them. And I'm often struck by the, the reality that I always say, and that's that the one size fits all schedule doesn't fit all. And for those it fits, it doesn't fit for long. So you really need to listen to your body and make changes. You know, just because there's that third week of build, you may not want that third week of build, especially around those peak areas. You may need a taper week because you're sore, you're beaten up, you're, if you're headed, if you feel like, you know, geez, I feel like I'm headed for injury. You are probably headed toward injury. Get a taper week. Now, taper weeks, cutback weeks, whatever you want to call it, um, can increase intensity. I've even gone to a point where I've increased the percentage of intensity way up during taper and dropped the volume of that week, of taper week, way down below even half. So you'd, you'd get like 40% of what you did the week previous, 40% volume. So that's 60% reduction. And I've increased the intensity way up from a 20 or 15% way up to like 40% for the week. So it's way more high intensity and way, way less volume. Now, the normal taper for around a four-hour person cutback week would be more like 60 to 50% of the previous week. And you would want to maintain what you did on Monday, you do again on Monday. If you have speed work on Monday, you do speed work on Monday. But at 60 to 50% of the Monday before that. Same with Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. You do the same thing, the same day of the week. Um, and, and you can increase intensity a little bit, um, but you, you'd want to drop your volume. That's the key to a cutback week. It's 50 to 60% volume of the week volume you just finished. Uh, that would be your, your key to a, a cutback week. Um, but in terms of the amount of weeks build and taper weeks or cutback weeks, um, that's really an individual thing, especially when you get way, way up there in volume. I'm creating a schedule now for three to 320 
marathoners, three hour to three twenty marathoners right now. Um, and they're getting down to two week build and one week taper. And, um, when they're getting up to 80 miles in, in the peak build phases, early phases are going three week build, one week taper. Yeah. That's interesting. So basically what you're saying is that the purpose of the, not setback, cutback weeks is <laughs> for your bodies to basically recover, but that just means bring down the volume, not necessarily the intensity. Right. You can increase the intensity during cutback weeks. Not too much. You want to recover, but absolutely you can, you can increase the intensity. Okay. Yeah. Well, since, since you're, um, since you're using the term taper, um, most of us know the term taper for the time period that is right before the marathon. We have, um, anything between a couple of weeks or even three weeks I've seen online to mm -hmm. a few days off. And I wanted to ask you about that because it seems like some coaches, that have uh, more serious runners have their taper period time period being less than five days. And then we mm -hmm. see other coaches out there giving you three weeks of tapering. So what is the mm -hmm. purpose of that? And uh, which one is more beneficial for what person? Right. Uh, again, it's very individual. And um, I've even heard of Ironman triathletes taking a four week taper. It's just what that person needed, you know, but, you know, there, there was a, there have been several studies. The one that I, I like to focus on was a study in 2008. And this is a little older. And I even heard of someone talking about it on, on uh, YouTube the other day. But um, uh, there was a, a book by a guy named Inigo Mujica, Tapering and Peaking, not a very creative name, but it's all about tapering and peaking and the key to doing it right, because it really is an art and a science. And, you know, like I said, it can take like 10 to 14 days for any exercise to really dramatically alter your physiology, your neurology, your, your fast, slow twitch muscle fibers, your threshold, you know, all of those things and many, many other things. Um, your, 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 your motor nerve, your, the, all of that. Um, so you, if you don't benefit from like 10 day to 14 day and you do need to recover to rebuild hormones, you know, if you keep just, if you do nothing, what we call is the old days lateral build where you build, 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 build more, 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 more. You taper at the end and you do your marathon you're probably going to go through a couple months of I'm exhausted all the time. And yes, pro athletes can get to that point, although they do recover and they may still be tired. Fatigue may not be the key component to, to uh, measuring this, but overtraining is, is the key. If you're building and building, building and building, you're overtraining, your hormone levels are going down and down and down and down and down and down. And even though you have a three week taper at the end, you're not quite going to build hormone levels back and muscle levels back up to full after all that tearing down for an entire season. That's why we put in interval tapers, which is very much a part of that book. Every two or four weeks, there will be a taper. After three weeks, you have a taper week. So that's four weeks total. So, um, uh, the taper at the end is the same concept, but you do definitely benefit from at least minimally 10 to two weeks. Um, the book says everyone, everyone benefits from two weeks. This was Bath University in Spain. They did all these studies and this PhD in exercise physiology was the one who wrote it up in his book, Inigo Mujica. M-U-J-I-K-A, Tapering and Peaking. You can still buy it on Amazon, all those bookstores. Um, so if you're not going to benefit from less than that, and you're going to benefit by rebuilding hormone levels and strength, in other words, your fitness level, and I could show you a graph, but we're, we're, we're audio only. Um, uh, if your fitness levels continue to increase after your volume decreases, you know, down to 50, 60% and then down to like almost nothing the last few days, 
Um, the last week is actually even essential. You, you, you go from where you were. If you're going to do a two week taper, you drop 50, 60% the first week. The same week on Monday, you start where you were Monday, the previous tapered week, and then you drop it down to zero on Friday, do nothing Friday. And then a little kicker on Saturday, the day before, if you're doing a Sunday race, obviously it switches if you're doing a Saturday race, but Saturday, the day before your race on a proper final taper, you do a little kicker of maybe 10, 15 minutes if you're for that four hour ability level. If you're a higher level semi-pro, you might do 20 minute, maybe 25, even 30 minute run the day before the race. And for doing that final taper week that way, you gain, which isn't much, you gain a 0.05% increase on energy output on race day. So there is not only the weeks of taper that are critical and weeks for the individual, an older runner may need three weeks to recover. You know, he may still be building or she building in fitness for three or, or more weeks you know, because they're still rebuilding hormone levels slower. They're rebuilding muscle tissue slower. Uh, keep in mind, human growth hormone is a hormone that enables you to rebuild muscle tissue. Got it. So um, uh, all those things work in conjunction with each other. That's why you taper. Um, and at the end, you want your hormone levels on peak level. Um, I, I hate to say this, but women who are right before having their period, they're uh, just, their hormones are racing. That's the day to do a marathon. You know, um, I, I won't go into that anymore, but hormones are a critical point. If you can time it right to race day and you want to build them back up through taper. That's such a critical element to this. Um, you know, you, you do gain from recovery. That's where you build. I can't emphasize that enough. Um, if you feel like, oh God, I don't want to walk out the door. I just have, I'm dying. You, men and women all have testosterone that motivates us to do more. And women obviously have far, far less testosterone than men, but they do have some. And if you are feeling that, it's probably because your testosterone, a hormone, is so low that you just have no motivation. You need to rebuild that. You know, it might be a reason to stay at home or maybe do something less demanding like cross training. Um, maybe go to the gym, a little strength training. Maybe ride the stationary bike at lower heart rate, which will benefit your cardiovascular system. You'll get some benefit. Um, it's all so much an individual thing um, and schedules do need to change based on where you're at. If you don't sleep one night, maybe you don't do that long run that day. Maybe you do it on a Sunday instead of Saturday or whatever. Um, you know, the, the, those are critical elements uh, yeah. to endurance building. Yeah. And, um, you know, that, that kind of brings me to another question that I have written down for you because of those training schedules as awesome as they are. We know the basic rules of thumbs don't have too hard workouts following each other, but what are some other do's or do not do's when it comes to switching days due to fatigue or whatever circumstances happen in life? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like if your child is sick and you stay up all night with them, I, I hear you, you know, um, Yeah, you know, uh, it, it, the marathon training, especially a four hour ability level is so much easier to switch things around. Um, you can pretty easily switch things around as long as you kind of maintain enough recovery. You know, uh, you, you hard day, easy day, hard day, easy day, hard day, easy day, or hard day, day off, hard day, whatever. Um, as long as you kind of maintain that recovery during the week, You can even flip recovery weeks with build weeks. So maybe you have like, as long as you're not feeling bad, you know, as long as you're, you're still okay and, and able to perform at the same level, whatever you were doing before. Um, if you really start your feeling your easy pace is slowing, you know, now you're overtraining. That's a good thing for two, three days. 
But overtraining beyond two, three days where you're really slowing your easy pace even, you know, um, your slow pace is slowing, um, then you're, you're really, that's too much. You're breaking up too much muscle tissue. You're, you're wasting your time. You're, you're depleting your ability. You're not a building your ability. So yeah, you, you can pretty much flip those things around as long as you're still feeling okay. Um, when you get into triathlon, then it gets so much more complicated with, you know, biking and swimming and running and strength training, you know, um, you know, all of those things. But, uh, it's more, much, much more of a difficult jigsaw puzzle. But, but running for the four hours, yeah, just flip it around and make sure you're, you're doing okay. If you can't get your heart rate up there because you're still sore from the day before or two days before, don't waste your time. Do an easy run or take the day off if you're really beaten up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you really need to listen to yourself. Um, when you're working with a coach, I cannot tell you how many times I always say to people, how do you feel? And it's not like, Hey, how are you doing? It's, I really want to know, how do you feel? Cause that's such a critical, important element to training. I wanted to get your opinion also about time trials, because I've heard and read from mm -hmm. many coaches that it's important to have time trials, not only mm -hmm. to see if your training is working, but also as a confidence builder. So mm -hmm. as a time trial for a marathon, I'm assuming we're going to find some half marathons. And if we want to plug those into our training calendar, how do we do that if we have weeks you know, a few weeks in a row where the mileage is definitely above 13 miles and we have that Sunday of 13 miles, do we do the half marathon at half marathon pace and then add some miles in the evening or what's a good way of implementing those races? Yeah. Um, by the way, I, I love that idea. I, I'm all for time trials. Um, I, I know one of the, the elements of triathlon coaching is a time trial every month. But you do want to give yourself a chance to taper if you're really doing it as a true time trial of your ability on race day. Um, you know, you can always run a 13 mile as a taper week when you're doing, you know, 45 miles at peak volume, 60 miles at peak volume. You can always do a half marathon and that's just kind of part of a taper week almost, you know, um, that doesn't give you much data. It, it's a fun run, I suppose, but, um, to really give you a lot of data, you need that two week taper. So you really do want to do a week taper and then you want to do race week taper. So there's your two weeks of taper. So the question is, is how do you fit that into a schedule? Um, if you have a four month schedule, you can't do too many races in a four month schedule and still build to the point where you want to build to, especially if you've taken off like three, four months of doing very little. And now you're jumping back into a, even a six month schedule can be demanding to take you from point A where you're at to point Z where you want to be. You can't do too many races, um, but races are great to give you a time trial, to give you an idea of what your ability will be on race day. There are pace calculators based on races or fast, hard effort that you can use. They're not really accurate if your training percentages are off, and I could go into that in a whole other lecture. But um, uh, safe to say, they do kind of give you an idea. A half marathon, like if you do your V.02 or V. Dot is, is the abbreviation for the same thing that a guy named PhD Jack Daniels created, nothing to do with the whiskey. Um, I find that that can be fairly accurate for many people, not all. Um, there are variables to that. But it can give you a finish time for marathon race day, which gives you an idea of about what to look at and kind of a range of a way to create a, a race day game plan, you know, calculating hills and elevation changes, heat, all of that into what you got for this V dot value on, you know, giving you a finish time for a race day. So there are a lot of variables in all these things, time trials, but Yeah, I, I, I love all of that. But, but it's, again, it's, it's an in totally individual thing. 
Um, where are you starting? Where are you ending? How much time do you have to build? How much do you have to build? If you really want to use it as a time trial, you have to put yourself at peak ability. And the only way to put yourself at peak ability is with that two week taper. You know, um, even like a 10K, you could do like a week taper. You won't quite be as fast. Maybe you'll lose a couple seconds or a minute or whatever off your 10K. Big deal, you know, but um, for really being at peak level of efficiency to really see if this is what you want, not necessarily what you need, but if you really want to see where you're at, you really need that two week taper. All that is so interesting. <laughs> so David, one yeah. more question. If you have that online training plan that you paid for and signed up and then kind of a few weeks into it, you start having doubts about how challenging this training plan is for you. If you feel like it's mm -hmm. not challenging enough for you, what can you add where? Would you add volume to get up your mileage or would you add to mm -hmm. the intensity? Mm -hmm. Well, it depends on what you're, well, I'm assuming we're training for that four hour marathon. Yes. If, let's say that. Okay. If it was a 5k, I'd add more intensity, but if it was a marathon, I'd add greater percentage of, excuse me, I'd add the, to the percentage of volume of everything, maybe like add five minutes to endurance, easy, slow runs, add maybe two minutes to high intensity runs. Um, throughout the week, you know, throughout the schedule. But again, see how you feel, you know, because we can go 80, 90 minutes at really high, high heart rate, threshold pace, 80, 90 minutes. So if you're doing 80, 90 minutes and or less and you're feeling, well, gee, this is easy, you know, I just ran four miles and I feel this like nothing. Well, yeah, that's true because you still have tons of glycogen left. You know, you could go for another 40 minutes at that pace, probably. But are you really building endurance at all at that higher heart rate? Sure, you can do that. It'll feel great. But are you building endurance where you need to be at low heart rate? That's the critical component. I find most people an epidemic of those four-hour non-pro athletes are training too fast. And they're thinking, well, gee, I can finish my runs. It's not about finishing your runs. It's about, you know, when you get beyond like a hundred minutes and a little over an hour and a half and you find like, oh my God, I'm dying. Yeah. You've been going too fast the whole way. Now you just wasted your whole run. You're not built virtually any endurance except for the first few minutes when your heart rate was climbing, you know? Um, you really want to make sure you're at low heart rate, easy, um, easy means easy. Um, it's as simple as that. Um, could you do faster? Sure. Everyone can. Do you want to? Is that where it, you, you benefit most? No. I've heard pro athletes say, you know, I, like Ryan Hall used to say, I, I need to slow down my long runs, um, or, or my, my easy effort runs. He used to say, um, he needed to slow him down to about seven minute per mile pace, which is significantly slower than what he was doing is sub five minute per mile marathoning. But um, he used to say that all the time. And uh, I, I'm not sure he ever really did. He never, I, I've never heard a pro athlete say, I need to do more speed work. I need to speed up my, my easy effort. I, I've never heard that. I've always heard people say, I need to slow it down. And I think that's great truth for not only pro athletes, but for the rest of us as well. Most of us need to slow it down and take it easy. Just talk. You know, the great coach, Arthur Lydiard, who all of these programs are pretty much based on this guy who was thought of as kind of a lunatic, who was this brilliant man who wrote books on running, endurance, and he, he used to run with these guys, in New, he was from New Zealand, used to run with these guys out in the fields in the, the, the trails of New Zealand and they'd be heard a mile away laughing and carrying on and telling stories. He was supposedly the great storyteller. I know a, a coach, one of the former Ellie Roadrunner coaches, knew him very, very well. His brother trained with him. 
Um, he, he himself won the New York Marathon, Rod Dixon. And uh, he, he used to say he's a, just a great guy and a great storyteller. And these guys, including Rod himself, went on to do things like winning Olympic gold medals. He became, for about 20 years or more, the world coach um, that even Bill Bowerman, who invented the Nike shoe and was a big coach in the United States for endurance athletes at um, Oregon University, the University of Oregon, um, he based his training went on, he went to New Zealand to meet Arthur Lydiard. So our training is really based on Lydiard. And he himself, they were out there laughing and telling jokes and what they call conversational pace. They're talking fluidly like we are now. That's really where you want to be is, it, it, can you do better? Can you push yourself harder? Absolutely for 80, 90 minutes, probably 100 minutes when you give yourself time to warm up a little and your heart rate gets up there, you got 80, 90 minutes after that, your heart rate gets up there. But do we want to do, do we benefit from that? No, that's not where you're building capillary veins and arteries and mitochondria and oxidative enzymes, those specific things that give you endurance. You build a lot of things uh, from any pace, from running fast, running slow, running in the middle. You build a whole list of things, um, more red blood cells, more hemoglobin, more higher stroke rate, meaning blood flow with every pump of your heart. A whole laundry list of things, venous return, on and on and on. Uh, but those things specific, those three things specific to endurance, you really only get from that, let's just go out and have fun. That kind of fun run pace, you know, conversational. Um, I've heard people talking about bad food for three hours and, you know, combinations of, burgers with, I don't know, horrible things, you know what I mean? Uh, whatever it was. And they were having a grand time and they were building endurance. It was a good thing. Um, we tend to get very competitive and push ourselves too hard, especially pro athletes, which is often why they go off on their own because they know if they run with a friend, they're going to get competitive and go too fast. But that's yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, so basically what you're saying is the way to build endurance is with a long run that's easy. And how long should that long run be? Uh, it, it, it could vary. You know, I think the best training that I've created are, you know, most of us don't have time to do this. But the best training I've seen, the sub three hour marathoners, certainly, um, the best they have done is AM, PM. You just break it up. It doesn't, you know, you take your 20 mile run, you do uh, 12 miles in the morning, eight miles in the evening, and then the next day you do 10 miles, you've just done 30 miles. Where if you do a 20 mile run on Saturday, you may not be able to do anywhere near 10 miles the next day, even at easy pace. So now you've just lost 50% of your volume. 50%? Excuse me. You've just lost a third of your volume. You've done 20 miles on a Saturday in one long run. You've done nothing the next day because you just can't move or you're sore or whatever. So you've just lost out on the opportunity to do 10 miles. That's a reduction of 30%. So that means your endurance ability is now that much, not much, but that much less because of the way you did it. You know, where if you did 12 in the morning, eight at night, 10 miles the next day, um, or even five and five morning and evening the next day, um, you've just created a far greater mass of volume than if you do these crazy 20 mile long runs. That's time spent at heart rate, different levels of heart rate to accomplish different things. Threshold raises the bar to where you're still using fat. That's high heart rate. Low heart rate builds these physiological components specific to endurance. And that's where you want to want to be. AM, PM runners, I find, uh, make that's, you know, as soon as they go to one run, because I just can't do this anymore, AM, PM thing. 
um, that their their finish times are a bit slower. I find same person, same races, you know, same essential training, but not quite as strong on race day. Interesting. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, David, thank you so much for all these explanations. I'm excited for our listeners to get to hear all that because it's difficult for us that, you know, for the runners of us that purchase online training programs to navigate them somehow because we don't know what to switch where and what, what pace means. So I think you've really helped with that. So thank you so much. Oh, absolutely. And thank you, Letty, thank you for your interest. Of course. And if anybody wants to get in touch with you, I know you're not taking new coaching clients, but if anybody has a question, where can they reach you? Yeah, I miss one-on-one -on -one coaching. I, I do, but I've just been so busy with the LA Marathon and all that, the Roadrunners. Um, you can reach me at David L, L as in Levine, my last name, uh, David L at McCourtFoundation.org. That's M-C-C-O-U-R-T-F-O-U-N-D-A-T-I-O-N dot org, McCourt Foundation, one long thing, dot org, David L at McCourtFoundation.org. Perfect. Thank you, David, so much. Letty, thank you. Hey, have a great, inspired run, everybody. Thank you, David, so much for coming on and speaking with me. I had a great time and I feel like I learned a lot of stuff from you as always. And we're super lucky that you dedicated your time to speak with us. And yeah. Um, Do you have anything else to tell your listeners before we finish? Um, oh, yeah. So if you are new to this podcast or old, and if you haven't joined our Facebook group yet, our group name has changed. We are the Speed Striders, where speed is relative and finishing is absolute. You had to think about that for a minute. <laughs> it's a Facebook group and we do a lot of challenges through the month of December. So come on and join us. Right now we're doing a push-up challenge and then we have a 12 days of Christmas challenge coming up starting December 12th. So join in on the fun and anything else, Ryan? No. Oh, people should post about any Christmas runs that are going on. That'd be kind of cool. That'd be cool. You'd yeah. probably like that, huh? Let us know where you're running around Christmas. And if you're wearing any Christmas gear, like fun Christmas leggings or reindeer horns, tag us. We're at Running Podcast on Instagram. And again, we have that Facebook group that you can join. And um, I'd love to see that. So that's it, you guys. Until next week, have a great week of running. Thanks for tuning in. For more information, head to www.runningpodcast.us and as always, have a great week of running.